pray, and we're going to get into our message, and then we're going to have a time after to just respond and worship to what God does. I'm so excited for this message because I just believe the anointing of God is here with us today. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for these moments, these miracles. God, thank you for revealing yourself and helping us to see and to know that this is just not an intellectual exercise. That God, you are real. The Spirit is alive. Salvation is sure. The blood of Christ saves. The name of Jesus overcomes, God. And everything that we need is found in you. God, draw us close now. Open our hearts for more. Give us a hunger for more. Family to flame that, that fire that you placed inside of us. Holy Spirit, come even now and change the atmosphere. I pray, God, that you would just fall on us in this place. Fall on us, God. And as we talk about the truths from your word, as we talk about your presence, as we talk about you know, what you desire for each of us, God, that we would lean in and not push back. That, that we would become hungry and not, and not be satisfied with just what we've experienced thus far, God, but that we would draw in. God, I just pray against every work of the enemy that would try to interrupt what you're doing here. Every, every facet of the battle, God, that would come against us in this moment. I pray for everybody's body, Lord, that it would continue to function as normal, removing all distraction. Everybody's mind, that we'd stay glued to your word, God. Everybody's emotions, Lord, that it would stay in line with your perfect will. And that right now, God, that you have the freedom to work and move. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The name of Jesus has the power to change the atmosphere in any room. It has the power to change and break down walls. Do not be afraid of the name of Jesus. I just have to proclaim that. I feel that in my spirit, that, that when the enemy has gotten us uh, in our lives, in our spiritual lives, has gotten us afraid of the name of Jesus. Whether from political or cultural pressure, it's gotten us afraid of the one weapon that has the power to tear down any stronghold. Do not be afraid of the name of Jesus. Again, last week was week one of the series we talked about the fact that the answer to every longing in every heart, there's a longing in every heart, whether you're a believer in Christ or you're, you're still searching for truth in this world, there's a longing in every heart to have intimacy with God. To have an intimacy. We're created for relationship with Him and not that we would just know that He exists or believe that he exists, but that we would have a vibrant, deep relationship where we would know him intimately and that he would satisfy every longing in our hearts. But the deal with beginning a relationship with Jesus is that it's not just about getting saved. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on every heart. And he wants us to open the door to begin that relationship, but not just for salvation. He's not content with just seeing people saved and having sins forgiven. The second part of that verse says that he wants to come in and share a meal together as friends. He wants to be your friend. The God of this universe Hallelujah. wants to be your Thank you, friend. Opening the door is just the beginning. It's level one. It's stage one. There's another level God wants to bring you into. And that's friendship. The thing about friendship, though, this is our experience with the people we rub shoulders with every day, is that friendships don't just happen. You have to pursue them. You have to invest yourselves into them. 
You must also pursue and invest yourself into your relationship with God. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, then you must pursue after God. And the beauty of the scriptures, what God reveals to us in the word, is God's already pursuing after you. He's already pursuing you. He wants us to pursue after him. And when we pursue him, guess what? That's where the encounter comes. Hallelujah. We encounter the living God. God is already pursuing you. The question is, is are you pursuing after God? In James, James in his letter to the church, he writes that if we draw close to God, God will draw close to us, not out of obligation, but out of joy because we're his children. What parent doesn't want to be close to their children? He draws close to us out of joy, not obligation. And the reality is for us as believers is we can have as much Jesus in our life as we can stand. We can have as much Jesus in our life as we want. He will not withhold himself from us. The scripture says that the spirit even searches the deep and and mysterious thoughts of God and wants to reveal those things to us. I heard a pastor say one time about uh, another man who had a very strong and powerful prophetic ministry that they were out at McDonald's and uh, he hadn't really been introduced into prophetic ministry so he had all these questions and the the guy, the prophet, was, was just revealing how God works in his life and he started pointing everyone out at the McDonald's this person has cancer, this person has back pain, this person has this and that and the pastor was so forward, he's like, well if God's telling you this, we, we need to go pray for healing. And so he got up and started going around and started checking. Do, do you have this issue? And it was confirmed. Do you have this issue? And it was confirmed. He was like totally blown away that this guy was dead on in every instance. And he got back to the prophet. He's like, let's go pray for these people's healing. And the prophet said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's like, does God want them healed? Yes. He's like, but God tells me things because I'm his friend. And sometimes he just wants somebody to tell his secrets to God likes talking to you and telling you his secrets because you're his friend. The thing about relationships and what we have to wake up to, especially if you've grown up in church or have a, a long history in a church background, is that if you think about the relationships you have at church, you might be aware of who someone is that goes to church with you. If you look around the room, you might see some familiar faces. Yeah, I know who this person is. I know who uh, John Keeling is or Brian Roy. I know who these people are. I know, I know of them. I know some things about them. You might be aware of who they are because you attend church service after church service on Sunday. But just because you know who they are doesn't guarantee intimacy with that person. You may know who that person is, but if you really want to get to know a person on a deep level, go on a road trip with them. Anybody here like road trips? They're fun, they're exciting. But sometimes they can get a little awkward, depending on who you're riding in close proximity with for hours and hours on end. Right? You get to know their personality. You get to know some of their history, some of their experiences. You get to know their likes, their dislikes. You get to know even maybe you know their favorite color. You get to know about snoring and maybe even some interesting and unique smells every once in a while. You really want to get to know somebody, go on a road trip with them. 
You learn all sorts of things about a person when you're in close proximity. See, the reality is, an intimate, with intimacy and friendship, is that it's not just developed by meeting someone. It's developed, the intimacy is developed through deep experiences, through having experiences with other people, experiences together, not just informational meetings. You can read somebody's life story and gain an appreciation of who they are, maybe where they come from, but that still does not guarantee intimacy. It requires time invested and opportunities for experiences to be had that develop deep bonds and real relationship to occur. If you really want to go for true intimate relationship with Jesus, with your Heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be discovered and developed through experiences that you have together. That's how you're going to get to know the Father's heart. That's how you're going to get to truly know how your Father works, how Jesus works and moves in your life, how the Spirit operates. You cannot truly know or understand where someone is or someone's life, you've heard it said, until you walk a mile in their what? Shoes. You can't really understand someone's life. You might know and have read and have studied about drug addiction, but unless you've been a drug addict, you don't really know. You might be able to gain information and understand like what happens in a person's life who's been abused, but unless you've been abused yourself, you don't really know. There's a knowledge, there's, an, there's a, a revelation that comes when you have the experience that coincides with the information or understanding you're trying to understand. The same idea comes with developing an intimacy with God. You don't truly know God or understand God or even you know how God works and moves his personality and the truth of the Bible that you read until you have an experience that brings you deeper into that. It doesn't just take knowledge, but it takes also experience to bring truth to life in your life. Uh, James said, faith without works is dead. That if you don't have works, if you don't have experience to back up your faith, then it's pointless. He also said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Why? Because unless you have an experience to back up what you say you believe, it profits you nothing. You don't really understand it. You don't really have a relationship. You don't really have the salvation you think you have if you don't experience the reality of that salvation. The Apostle John, toward the end of his gospel, the Apostle John was one of the last living apostles. He was one of the first 12 disciples of Jesus Christ, and he was one of the last living apostles. All the other disciples that were with Christ had died. Either they were murdered for their death, or for their faith, or, uh, or they had died of old age. Now, we have several records of, of how they died, but John was the last one. He's the one that gave us the, the book of Revelation, and, and uh, here we also get the gospel itself. And in the Gospel of John, as he's writing, at the end of his Gospel, he says this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And this is important for us to understand as we're talking about experiencing our faith. He says, the disciples, that's the 11, the 12, saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. There's power in the name of Jesus. But did you catch what he said? He said, these disciples didn't just read about Jesus. They didn't just 
Like, hear somebody talk about it. They weren't just hoping that the stories were true and, and imagining that, well, what might it be like if we could see this for ourselves? The disciples became followers of Jesus because of what they saw Jesus do. They saw it for they experienced it for themselves. They saw him do it, and he empowered them to do the very things that he was doing uh, in his ministry. He sent them out many times to go heal the sick, cast out demons, and do many miraculous signs and wonders. They were followers of Jesus, not because they were hoping the stories were true or because they heard some cute little stories their parents read them when they were children. They had a vibrant, real encounter with the living God. John and the other 11 did not become followers of Jesus because they were just hoping. They saw with their own eyes. They heard with their own ears. They felt with their own hands. There was a reason why these men were willing to go to death for the sake of the gospel. Think of it. They were willing to die for Jesus. And many people can't give up one day a week for Jesus. People were willing to die for Jesus, but we're unwilling to say his name in a grocery store aisle for the sake of the lost. Why? Because we have Bible story faith and not experiential faith. We have hoping this is true, not knowing it's true. We have wondering if God's real rather than knowing God's real. We wonder if hell exists rather than knowing it exists. People are actually going there. There's a difference there is a difference. And God wants us to wake up to the reality and he's calling us in to something much greater. You see, the reason why much of religion and religious participation leaves us unsatisfied, why I know there's people in this room right now, like, like what Chris said, and they become completely discontent with their Christianity when they see the reality on display, is because religion robs us of what God intended. We've sacrificed the presence of God in our life for the process of religious practice. We have sacrificed theories for theos, or theos for theories. The word theos in the Greek means God. We, we've replaced God himself with just theories about God, talking about God, singing about God, but not really experiencing and having a relationship with God. We've replaced it. And we wonder why our faith is weak. We wonder why we don't see the very things that God wants to do in our lives. We're hoping these stories are true. And I'm here to tell you today that God is inviting you to discover how true these stories really are. He's inviting you, each and every one of you. There's no hoping this was true. They were thoroughly convinced because they did not just hear about Jesus, they knew him. Jesus asked Peter one time, who do men say that I am? And he gave what other people were saying, but he says, no, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter could not say that unless he knew truly who Jesus was. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the Christ? Too many times our religious experiences, we just go through the motions and go home. We leave the gathering, having gone through all the processes, talking about the theories, and going home completely unchanged. Nothing making a real difference in our life. Monday comes, and it's as if Sunday never happened. It's because many have yet to wake up to the truth that they have within themselves the ability to press in to the presence of God. Yeah. You have it in you. Hallelujah. 
When we were created, we were created with an eternal soul. Many don't recognize this. We don't often think about this, but who you really are has nothing to do with this flesh bag that you carry around with you. You are not your body. How do I know? Because one day your body's going to die, but your soul's going to live on forever. And the word says Jesus is going to give you a new body. So if this body was who you are, then, then it would have more significance. But Jesus is going to give you a whole new one. Who you really are is your eternal soul. Who you are on the inside, that is your true self. There is a spiritual side to every person. And that spiritual side of you, that is really who you are. It enables you to perceive and interact with the spiritual realm. And our bodies have been given to us uh, with some sensory capability that our five senses that can actually be attuned to perceive the spiritual world and experience the spiritual realm all around us. I mean, we hear about people who are spiritually sensitive. That is in the creative design for every person. Why? Because God wants us to perceive Him, experience Him, see how He's working, to know when He's speaking, to know when He's moving, and to flow with the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, here's what it says in the King James Version. He says, Be strong, or but strong meat belongeth them to that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their what? senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It's talking about the difference between mature believers and immature believers. Those who are on milk and those who have graduated to meat. And he's saying that the senses have been exercised. Those who are mature in the Lord have exercised, have trained their senses to discern, to perceive both good and evil. As we mature in our faith, as we grow in intimacy with the Spirit of God, as it grows, so should our senses be attuned to perceive His presence, to understand when He's working, to discern the spiritual realm. And not just the good parts of it, but also the bad parts of it. I mean, think of this. In the Hebrew, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Why? In the gifts of the Spirit, does the Holy Spirit give us the gift of discernment of spirits? Why would the Holy Spirit want us to be able to discern between good and evil, good spirits and bad spirits? Why do you think we would need that? Maybe it's so because in our senses we have this perception we would know who we're dealing with and how to respond appropriately in any given situation. To know what type of force that we're dealing with. You see, without spiritual discernment, without training yourself to recognize between good and evil, you might bow to a demon while scoffing at God and not even know it. You want to know why we struggle with spiritual strongholds? You want to know why we have besetting sins? You want to know why we have these issues in our lives? It's because we've not trained our senses. We've not become attuned to the presence to live. The Bible says if we walk in the Spirit, we will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. If we don't know if the Spirit's with us, we cannot perceive His presence. We not haven't trained ourselves to walk in the Spirit. We're going to give ourselves over to the winds of the enemy every time. We have it within ourselves. God's created us to be able to discern between good and evil, between light and dark, between the spiritual world of good and God's presence and the demonic kingdom. And so often we, for the sake of being uncomfortable and this feeling of, of not wanting to be uncomfortable, we will ignore or close ourselves off to these experiences that we can have with the Holy Spirit, that we can have with the Spirit of God, which is why many of us 
either cannot feel God's presence when he's around, or we don't even know how to recognize it when we do. And so our hearts remain cold and hard, and our breakthrough that we've been praying for is afar off because we're missing the gift that God's laid right before our eyes. God's given us the ability to discern the presence of darkness, but because we've not pressed into spiritual gifting and becoming alive in the Holy Spirit, the reality of what's going on around us largely goes unnoticed. The presence of God, the reality of His presence, it confirms the truth of God's Word. The reality of God's presence confirms the truth. It brings the surreal into the real. And you can experience the presence of God right now in this place. And when you do, it will create a holy shift in your life. The presence of God has the power to shift things in your spirit. You might be battling depression, but when you enter the presence of God, it says there is joy in the presence of God. That the strength of the Lord is joy. That there's that He's the source of our hope, our strength, our peace. That what we need in our lives is not more medication, it's more presence. You can experience the presence of God, and it's my strong belief that God wants you to encounter Him. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist writes, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. There is more pleasure and fulfillment in God's presence than you can experience in anything else in this world. The psalmist said, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand days elsewhere. I don't care how much money Disney World pumps into its theme park. It doesn't compare to the presence of God. Neither does URM or State with their football teams. They might play on Sunday, but they ain't got nothing on the glory of God. And here it says, you will show me the way of life. God desires this for you. He's waiting to lead you into an encounter with his love, his peace, his joy, and his presence. Psalm 24, verses 5 through 7, it says, They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the King of glory in. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are the one... Thank you, Lord Jesus. <laughs> if you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a right relationship with God. That's right. That's right. Your sins are no more. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, does that not rock your face off? Hallelujah. I mean, come on. Praise God. You have no more sin. Every day. And here's what it says. It says, right. if you have a right relationship with God, God has given you a privilege. What is that? To seek Him. Every day. To enter to his presence. Those who don't have a right relationship can't go there. Thank you, Lord. But you can. It's a privilege. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence. This is so profound. No other people on the face of the earth, not Islam, not Buddhism, not Hinduism, no other cultural system can bring you into the presence. Only the people of God can bring you into the presence. Just as it makes no sense for people to have the privilege to vote in this country, to abstain from the vote and then complain about it, so it is, is with those who have the privilege of experiencing the presence of God to not go for it and then lament that they're missing out on something. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. 
I mean, how crazy is that? Oh, praise God. Oh, where is God? He's right there. You just had to chase after him. Yeah, we're in place. God's so far away. No, he hadn't moved. You've gone. You moved. That's right. He's right here in our hearts. This is part of the privilege of those who know Christ. He gives us access to his presence 24-7. Amen. Look what it says in verse 7. Oh, amen. He says, open the ancient doors and let the king of glory enter. We are the gatekeepers amen. of his presence in our lives. So I believe in God, revealing presence as in God, and we have to convince him somehow. But here it says, we need to open the ancient doors. We need to open the gates and let the king of glory in, which means God is waiting to break out in this place. He's waiting to break out in your life. He's just waiting for you to open the door. To open the gates. Let the king of glory in. He's waiting for permission. Now there's a reality of the presence of God that we have to wrestle with. There are really seven levels of his presence theologically that we need to understand which will help influence our responsibility or our understanding of our responsibility to usher into his presence. So I want to show you vividly seven things about God's presence. If you're taking notes, there's room for you to write on the back of your worship guide. The verses will also be on the screen. But the seven levels of God's presence are this. Number one, God above us. We often hear the term, the big man upstairs, right? But we're referring to God's abode in heaven, right? We understand this. This is, when we think of where is God, naturally we think heaven. But what we don't think about is number two, God below us. God is also in hell. We think Satan rules in hell. No, he doesn't. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. It's talking about those who turn against God in the end times. He says, they must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur. Where are you tormented? In fire and burning sulfur. Hell. It's hell. Amen. It's in hell. But who are they before? Satan? No, what's it say? In the presence of who? The holy angels and the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Christ. Jesus. Amen. Satan doesn't rule in heaven. God does. Thank you, God. God does. God above us. God below us. Number three is God around us. Psalm 139, verse 7. He says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. God has so filled creation with himself, there's not a place you can run where he is not there. He's everywhere. He's all around. Whether you feel him or you don't, he is there. Number four is God within us. Romans 8 15 says, you've not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, because of Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection, has now sent the spirit to live with inside of you. You are his temple. So wherever you are, it's not that God's just out here. God's also in you. God is within us. Number five is God is with us. This is the name Emmanuel. It means God with us. One of the names of Christ given at his birth. 
Jesus in Matthew 18, 20 says this, For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. If we make Jesus the center of attention, he will be the life of every part of us. If we make Jesus the center of attention, he will be the life of every party. Jesus will never miss a party where his followers are concerned. He's here. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Are you aware of it? Number six is God before us. First Kings 8, 10 through 11. This is when the priests were ministering in the tabernacle. This is when the priest came out of the holy place. A thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. The temple had been created. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the holy place. God descended. He manifested in physical reality into that holy place. And the, the glory of God was so fierce, it said they could not continue their service. They couldn't keep the church service going because God showed up. In another translation and in the original language, it says they couldn't stand. Have you ever seen a meeting where people fall over? When God's glory falls, so do men. So do people. Why? Because nothing can stand to the glory of God. That's right. He is worthy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He manifests in physical reality. The presence of God can manifest. I've heard of churches where God's presence has manifested in some strange and amazing ways, but each time it did, miracles abound. His glory is revealed and His glory changes things. When His glory shows up, it should disturb the flow of things. If you're walking in the presence of God, it will disturb your plans for the day. Yeah. Or it should. Hallelujah. If God shows up and you keep walking, there's a problem. That's right. When God's presence is in your life, it should disturb your plans. It should change things. Every day. Nothing else matters when God shows up. First Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Why would Paul tell us not to stifle the work of the Spirit unless we could? God wants to work so powerfully in each and every one of you. He wants to turn your life upside down and use you to turn the world upside down. You can either encourage the Spirit or stifle the Spirit. His presence is before us. Number seven is God upon us. Acts 2, 3 through 4 says, When what looked like flames and tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Uh, last week we watched this powerful movie called Finger of God 2, and Bill Johnson, pastor of Bethel Church, he said this, and it stuck with me. He said, the Spirit is within us for us. We need a personal relationship with God. We need that. He comes inside for us. But He comes upon us for other people. There's a filling of the Spirit for us, but there's an anointing of the Spirit that empowers us to minister to other people. The presence of God can manifest upon us as He chooses, and He does this to use us to reveal Jesus and the power of His love to other people. There are many aspects of the presence of God, but in each case, we as believers, we have the responsibility to recognize it and steward it well. To recognize it and respond to it accordingly. And to do so by not stifling the work of God. Something so simple as 
letting your mind be distracted or, or investing yourself in something else. Psalm 68 verse 3 says, but let the godly rejoice and let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. It's curious to me that the psalmist would say, let them be glad in God's presence. So think about it, right? What would prevent a person from being glad in the presence of God? I mean, why do people go to church and act so miserable? Hallelujah. I mean, why, why do they go to church, gather in the presence of God and act so miserable? What would block them from being filled with joy in His presence? It's because something's blocking the work of the Spirit in your life. Something's in the way. Blocking them from an encounter with God. God's showing up. They're just missing it. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews reveals something about when we gather for worship. That when we gather for worship, we do so in the presence of all the hosts of heaven. And he refers back to one of my favorite stories in the Bible in Exodus chapter 18 through 21, where it talks about God literally descending on Mount Sinai before the nation of Israel. And I hadn't planned on using this passage of scripture for the message, but it just hit me. And I just want to read it and just speak this over us today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 25. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is revealing about when we gather as the church. He says, you've not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did on Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command that even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened that at the sight he said, I'm terrified and trembling. No, that's not where we've come. We've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Right now, we have come to the city of God. Right now, we have come to a gathering of thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. This is the church whose names are written in heaven. Your name, if you know Christ, is written in the book of life. You've come to God himself. He is the judge over all things. God is here. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones who are in heaven, who are now being made perfect. Think about this. If you've lost a loved one who's died in the Lord, they're here. We are with them. And they're worshiping, and they're cheering, and they're saying, church, get ready, because you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm preparing this for you. I'm just telling you that there are people right now that are, that are excited, and they're in the presence of God physically, where we will be one day. And they're getting the party started, and they're waiting for us to join in. Verse 24, it says, you come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and the people, in the sprinkling of blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance. Like the blood of Abel. Verse 25. Here's what he says. We're talking about the presence of God and stifling the work of God. He says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Amen. Be careful. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When we gather for worship, are you leaning in? Or are you trying to escape? Ah, thank you, Bob. 
Are you leaning in to his presence? Verse 28 and 29 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him in holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. You want to know why people feel warm when the Spirit of God touches them? Because our God is a devouring fire. There is heat in his presence. There is warmth. There is love. God is not not only here with us, but we gather with those who have gone on before. Jesus is here. The Spirit is here. His angels are here. And why do people miss it? It's because they chose not to open the ancient doors. And they've not invited the King of Glory to enter You see, God is inside you, and he's inside me. Jesus is here among us. If God is everywhere all the time, then the only thing stopping us from experiencing his presence is us. When David brought the ark back to Jerusalem, it's this huge story. The ark had been captured. It was in the temple of a false god from the Philistines, and finally they were able to recover it, and they were bringing it back to Jerusalem. They put on a parade that would make Macy's Day Parade look juvenile. I mean, we're talking a celebration to end all celebrations. David the king stripped down out of his kingly robes and basically got into his fruit of the looms, and he was out before the crowd just dancing his heart out. He was breaking it down. I mean, it was it was something that was so uh, crazy that it was noted in the scripture that David danced his heart out. Hallelujah. And it was this huge explosion of celebration in the city. The whole city, the whole nation of Israel was out to welcome the ark back. The ark symbolized the presence of God. They were worshiping because they were going to be in the presence of God again. It had been taken from them, but now he was coming back. This was a momentous occasion. Everyone was out celebrating except for one. There was one who missed the experience. It was Michael, David's wife. When David got back into his house and he was settling in for the night, she confronted him and criticized him for the way he was acting in front of the people because she thought he was unbecoming. You you just humiliated yourself. You lowered yourself. Why would you do that in front of people? Why would you do that? And David rebuked her because he said, you know, when it comes to the presence of God, nothing is beneath me. When it comes to the Lord... I'll be even more undignified than this. Oh, hallelujah. Because the Lord is worthy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. See, when it comes to the presence of God, there will be two kinds of people in the worship gathering. There'll be the worshipers, and then there'll be the criticizers of the worshipers. The worshipers will encounter the presence, they'll be blessed, and they'll find what they seek. Jesus said, if you seek, you'll find. While the criticizers will go on cursed. See, what is not blessed is cursed. And the Bible says that Michael went on childless from that point. She didn't reproduce. You see, the fruitfulness of your spiritual life is connected to your engagement with the presence of God. The more of his presence that is in your life, the more fruitful you will be. You want to know why there's no fruit? No presence. That's right. Your fruitfulness in your spiritual life is connected to your engagement with the presence. How you respond, how you obey, how you're aware, 
The question is, church, how fruitful do you want to be? Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. The enemy has done a great job convincing us that there's something better than what God can provide. The problem is, is that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's why we're messed up. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's nothing greater than a relationship with your Heavenly Father. There's nothing greater than His presence in your life. And the invitation to everyone here today is that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, the first miracle Jesus ever did was turning water into wine. It's a famous story. We all know it. But there's something so significant happens. It's not that the water turns to wine. That's not even the most significant thing. And this miracle is really a sign because it illustrates a deeper truth that Jesus was trying to convey. Mary goes to Jesus and says, hey, they ran out of liquor. And he's like, why? Why do I care? What's it have to do with me? And so she turns to the servants and says, do whatever he says. And Jesus, having compassion on the crowd, he goes into action. And in John 2, verse 6, this is what he, the scripture says, and this is what his instructions were to the servants. It says, standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Most of us would just skim past this verse. But this is why this passage is so significant. These jars were connected to the Old Covenant. They were required for the the Israelites to fulfill their obligation to God in the Old Testament with all the Old Testament laws. Jesus told them to fill those jars with water. That was fulfilling their purpose because that's what they were used for, for washing. But But then he does something. He turns the water into wine. He changes the purpose of the Old Covenant. And he changes the water to wine. What does wine symbolize in the communion of the Lord? He changes the regulations of the law and fulfills it with his own wine. And he has the master ceremonies tasting the wine. And the guy freaks out. He said, normally you get the good stuff first, and when everyone's drunk, then when they take it, you bring the other, the old stuff later, and then no one knows the difference because they're so inebriated they can't tell. But he says, you've saved the best for last. Jesus was revealing a deep spiritual truth that we're getting ready to taste and see that the Lord is good, that there's something new that's happening right before our very eyes, taking us away from religion and sacrifice to relationship that fulfills like no other. Something that is going to be so revolutionary and so overwhelming. And we get to taste it. The best is saved for last. This was a prophetic revelation. Of something better God had in mind for his people. No longer would we have to go to a place to find the presence. But God's presence through relationship would find us. The sacrificial system would end and an intimate relationship with God would begin. You see, in the Old Testament law, there was only one group of people that had the privilege of carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They had the privilege of carrying the presence of God. And that was the Levitical priests. Wherever they carried the ark, that's where God's presence went. If they carried the ark in the battle, God would fight for them. The presence of God could be found where the ark of the covenant resided. 
If someone was unworthy to touch the ark, they would be instantly killed, even if they were trying to protect it. See, under the old covenant, only a few were permitted to be near the Lord. Only had few had privilege of entering the Holy Holies, and they could only do it one time a year. There was a chasm, there was a separation between God and the people. The most holy place in the tabernacle and later in the temple was restricted, except for very few occasions. But by satisfying the law, fulfilling its purpose, and changing now the relationship between God and man, Jesus opened a pathway to salvation and accomplishes something new. And like the master of ceremonies, he says, it's better than what we've ever tasted before. Hallelujah. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when we're talking about carrying the presence of God, here's what Peter says to us as the church. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. God's chosen you. And he says, you're what? You're a royal what? Priest. priest. You are now a priest. Hallelujah. You are now a holy nation. Thank you, Lord. You are now God's very own possession. Look, look at what he says. And as a result, you can show others goodness. Hallelujah. For he called you out of darkness Amen. to his wonderful life. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a relationship with God Almighty. You have the Spirit of God in you. You are the carrier of His presence. Jesus has given you the honor and privilege of carrying the presence of God wherever you go, ushering in the presence of God into every room you walk into. We were at Staples or our Office Depot yesterday. We had to buy something for. Um, uh, to like a paper cutter for for the office, and we were there, and we met this guy who was our cashier, and we could just sense something dark on him. I mean, it's just a reality. But you know what? The moment I asked him, "Do you have a relationship with Jesus?" and I said the Lord's name, we all felt something shift. We didn't lead him to Christ, but something was different. Why? Because Jesus is with us. The presence is with us. And when you unleash his presence in a place, it changes things. Peter said that God has done this so that you can show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness to be light. How do we be light? By living in his presence. By carrying his presence. By ushering in his presence. Before we can share his goodness, we must be experiencing his goodness for ourselves. You cannot give what you do not have. Hallelujah. Jesus said, give as freely as you've received. Amen. You cannot give away what you do not possess. That's right. But it's there. You only need to go for it. Yeah. Jesus said, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. Worship without spirit is simply empty religion. Worship with only spirit and no truth is emotional sensationalism. It takes both our innermost being, our emotions, the inner self of who we are, and guidance from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who leads us into truth to lead us into the inner sanctuary to experience God's presence. Worship, when we gather to sing, this is why we're waiting to sing at the end. When we worship, it's the easiest mechanism we have to experience the presence of God. In Psalm 22, 3, it says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. God participates in praise. When we sing, and we sing from the heart, 
When we give him all we are, we can sense his presence. He works, he moves, he descends into this place. And the word enthroned means to inhabit. He reveals his glory when we gather to worship. And I'm not just talking about singing along with the song. You can sing along anywhere you go. That's not worship. Worship means singing your guts out because he's worthy. It's allowing the, the song and the music to be the mechanism that connects your heart to his presence. When your heart is connected and your faith is released as you sing, true worship can begin to flow where your heart is allowed to lead you into his inner sanctuary. In the, in the movie last Sunday night, uh, Bill Johnson also said something profound. He said, fire always falls on sacrifice. When they would offer their sacrifices, the glory of God would descend in a fire and cloud, and they would engulf the sacrifice. So I love this picture because it's true. If we're not offering a sacrifice, we cannot expect to encounter the presence. And I'm not talking about being religious. What I'm talking about is giving up something to get closer to Jesus. Oh, and the thing we all need to give up is our pride. That's right. Giving up comfort tears down the walls of your heart. The reason why God can't get in and why he can't pour out is because you've got a wall there of pride that's standing in the way. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, this is, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Our praise must be sacrificial. Even David was looking for a place to build the, the temple and the tabernacle. He saw a plot of land, and he wanted to buy the land, and so he met with the owner. The owner was just going to give him the land. He knew that, one, it was the king that wanted it, and two, he knew what the purpose was. And the owner's like, you want it? You're the king? I'll just give it to you. And David's response was, no, I will not offer my God anything that does not cost me something. Right. Why? Why does our worship need sacrifice? Because without sacrifice, our heart will not be connected to it. Without sacrifice, our heart will not be connected to it. David in Psalm 51 said something really profound. He said, the sacrifice of blood and goats, you do not want. What you want is a broken and repentant heart. God wants your heart. If you offer him a sacrifice and your heart's not in it, he doesn't receive it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our worship needs to sacrifice. It's going to take a sacrifice in our praise, a sacrifice in our prayer. And what often needs to be sacrificed is our pride. Our fear of what other people think. That's right. See, the word of God says if you humble yourselves, God will lift you up. If you lower yourself, God will esteem you. Thanks, we all need to let it go. Hallelujah. To pursue the presence of God. Like David, when it comes to the Lord, we need to not just be willing, but we need to be excited to become as undignified as necessary in man's eyes, to become as glorified as necessary in God's eyes. It means getting closer at whatever cost to the presence of the Lord. Now, you might be here and you may say, honestly, Pastor Julie, I don't know that I've ever experienced the presence of God. I've never really experienced it in worship, or maybe it's just been a long time since you encountered his peace and his joy, where you were so moved that you were, your emotions began to take on a life of their own. If you want to experience his presence like you've never had before, let me tell you today, you've got to do something you've never done before. If you want to go deeper with God, it's not in the mechanism of insanity where you do the same thing over and over expecting a different result. You want to experience God like you've never had before, you've got to do something 
you've never done before. To pursue his presence, it takes vulnerability and determination. you got to have an I don't care what's going on around me type attitude. All that matters is getting to the king of kings. There's a woman in the New Testament who had this issue of blood. She couldn't, she spent all her money on doctors and she couldn't find her healing. She heard Jesus was coming to town and she knew that if she could just touch the Lord, she'd find her healing. And so she forsook all the traditions, all the regulations, all the societal pressures, all the things that said you can't, you shouldn't, you, you need to stop right where you are. She said, I'm going to touch Jesus at no matter the cost. And she found the faith to give her the strength to pursue until she was able to touch the Lord, and when she did, guess what? She's healed. You want to know why you're not healed? You gave up. It's time for the church to let its hair down. To get desperate for the kingdom. To get hungry for his presence. And to go after it until he manifests in our physical reality. If you've never raised your hands before in worship, it's time to raise them up. If you've never clapped your hands in worship, it's time to start keeping the beat. If you've never danced before, it's time to let your childlike heart lead. If you've always stayed in your seat, it's time to come down and kneel before the God, not caring who's looking or what's going on. If you've always kept quiet, it's time to make a joyful noise. It's time. It's time. The presence of God is here. It's time to go for it. The Father's given us the light. We're carrying it here. We brought it in here with us. The question is, is are we going to let what's inside come out? Are we going to open the gates and the ancient doors and let the King of glory in? Are we going to call on God to show up in this place? We're going to go into a time of worship. Now is the time to pursue His presence. God's laying something on your heart. If you're just broken, doesn't matter what situation, come on down. It's often in that first step that it activates the faith that you need to find the breakthrough. Staying in your seat, staying hidden, staying out of sight takes you out of the place where God wants to do a work in your life. Becoming vulnerable and putting yourself before the Lord's feet enables your faith to activate the miracle power. We'll be down front praying with you and ask our prayer team to be down front to pray. We want to go now into a time as we enter this time of worship to usher in the presence of God, to let what's in come out, to let God show up the way he's going to show up and light so light a fire in this place. I'm telling you that this city is going to turn upside down because everyone here today, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus is activated for the glory of God. You're activated as an evangelist. You're activated as a preacher and a teacher and a healer and, and a discerner of the spirit activated for the glory of God right now in the name of Jesus no more fear no more fear no more fear it's